but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast for today, the 18th of November. I'm CJ Baumgartner, and we're diving into all the latest in Minnesota sports for today. And let's start with the team that just won last night. That is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Hey, finally won a game. Finally, uh, and it was ugly, man. I I didn't watch the whole game beginning to end because I just couldn't do that to myself. Uh, it was not pretty. It was not. It was like two teams who were uh, deciding which one wanted to lose. Like they were like, I don't really want it. Let's. I mean, they were combined. I think like one for twelve or something like that. Both teams were in their first uh, handful of free th- or three point attempts, and that's kind of the story of the game. It's just ineffectiveness on offense. And teams just not playing well overall. And I think it it leads to a point with the Minnesota Timberwolves where it's, you know, they shoot a lot of three-pointers, but they have not been able to get them to go down. It has just been ugly for this team from beyond the three-point line, which in today's NBA is one of the things you need to do the best. It's like in baseball, being a team that tries to swing for the fences all the time and can't get the ball out of the yard. It does you nothing. And even though it's the right approach... You just don't have the players who can do it, but you also don't have players who can drive to the rim either. Uh, Anthony Edwards is your only guy that can do that, and he's done it a few times, and he's got to be empowered more to do it, but defenses are just honing in on it. And another takeaway I want to see from the game yesterday, or that I saw from the game yesterday, was Carl Anthony Towns, man. I, I know it's an easy criticism. It's low-hanging fruit, but man, Carl Anthony Towns with the officials, I get that he doesn't get as many calls as other star players in the NBA should, and he has to make his case a little bit. But, dude, complaining after every single foul call that gets called on you is not making your case better. It makes it worse. What makes your case better is picking the right times when to make your case. Just because you feel like you didn't commit a foul. There was one towards the end of the first half last night. And clearly he hit the ball, but he also hit the arm on the way down. It's clearly a foul. And... Even Jim Peterson and Dave Benz, who were on the call last night for the Wolves on Valley Sports North, even they were like, uh, yeah, I don't really know what he's talking about. And Cat is, you know, he's doing his usual thing. He's sitting there, he's talking for the next two minutes, worried about why that, why he got called for that. And look, I get that Carl Anthony Towns doesn't get the calls. I've said that before. I get that he needs to make his case, but you got to pick your battles a little bit. Because let me tell you, NBA officials, who I know none of, but I can guarantee you in their thought process, the more they know that, oh, great, Carl Anthony Towns is going to complain to me all night. But you're not LeBron. Carl Anthony Towns is a great player, the best shooting big men of this generation, the one of the best shooting big men of all time, and one of the better big men in the NBA. He's still on the Timberwolves. He doesn't get that respect. He's not LeBron. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not Steph Curry. He's not Giannis. He's not in that tier He's not even an Anthony Davis where he get Anthony Davis in New Orleans, not even Lakers Anthony Davis level of getting those calls. You got to earn it, and you and I know he's been able to earn it through his play on the court, but at the same time, when you, on the defensive side of the ball, he's got to earn it. Yeah, he earns it on the offensive side, but he's got to earn it on the defensive side. Now he's making strides, but at the same time, and I'm just sick. I'm just sick of it. 
And I'm a big Carl Anthony Towns guy. I think he's a really great player. I want him on my basketball team. But at the same time, that's just the one area of his game where it's like, dude, if you can clean that up, you're going to be all right. And I just don't – the utter incessance to just make that your top priority to whine and moan to the refs every single night. It's just – as a fan, it's not engaging, and it's why – I don't agree with it, but it's why the national media gets gives this persona to Cat that he's soft because he does things like that. He complains all the time. He does that, and then whenever they see him on national TV, all they see him is complaining with the refs when he clearly did a hack job on a guy driving to the rim. I'm sorry. But in fairness to the Wolves, they won last night, and that's what you got to do. You won ugly, but you know what? You got to win. You got a W. Now, you have the Spurs coming to town tonight. That's going to be a tough ask, uh, even though the Spurs aren't any good. Uh, Greg Popovich still has been able to outcoach the Timberwolves for years now. Uh, so I'm not going to say it's an easy win, but the Wolves have to try and rattle off some wins here because their schedule does get harder again. They got to try and do something to get back in the race because as the standings sit right now, they're a game out of the playoff race. Now they're 5-9, and nine, and we're like a month into the season. So I'm not really going to read too much into the play of the NBA so far. Uh, even with the NHL with the Wild in first place, like it's good. But I'm not going to sit there and go, they should win the Central Division this year. You just have to wait and see. It's a good start, but I'm not going to start getting ready to hang the banner just yet. And that's the thing with the Timberwolves. Yeah, they're a game out of the playoff race now, but they're also 5-9. and nine. And they also should... Yeah, again, if they win a couple more games, they are 7-7 seven and seven right now, if my math is correct. They are, you know, they are 500 if they can beat the Pelicans and if they can beat the Magic, if they beat just those two wins. I'm not even saying you have to beat Denver. I'm not even saying you have to beat Phoenix or you have to beat the Clippers two of the times they beat you this season. Just the teams you should win, you're a 500 team and everybody looks at you differently. And this is the case in point is even though in Minnesota there's a lot of people, especially at the beginning of the season, it's tapered off a little bit now, but there was a lot of people in Minnesota that said, this team is a playoff team, this team should compete, we think they should make the playoffs, they're going to make a statement, they're going to do X, they're going to do Y, they're going to... The NBA doesn't care, by the way. The NBA does not care. And stars around the NBA do not care. And even role players around the NBA do not care. And case in point is Tristan Thompson last night went off on a rant, basically uh, saying that uh, they're not bringing out, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas, and they're not bringing out, uh, they're not bringing out the bad boys, they're not bringing out these guys. He was basically saying the Sacramento Kings, a team that has not made the playoffs longer than the Timberwolves, a team that has not been good for a long, long time, and not been relevant. For a long, long time, they looked and they said, we should have beaten the Timberwolves. We're sitting here going, we should have beat the Kings. This is one of those situations where it's two bad teams and they both think that they're the ones fighting for dominance. And guess what? The Kings are ahead of the Wolves in the standings right now. So as much as we say, oh, it's a good win, but it's a, you know, it's a win, but it's against a bad Kings team. Guess what? They're sitting here going, that is a bad loss. We should not have lost to the Timberwolves because nobody sees the Wolves as a playoff contender. Nobody saw them as a playoff contender all season. They might have wanted to get cute and get the you know the clicks with a bold dark horse playoff team prediction, but I'm sorry, this is just a this Wolves team is not good enough yet to get to the playoffs. They have flaws in the roster. Now that's it's not that's not uh, Sanchez Gupta's fault. That's uh, that's Gerson Rosas's fault. But the but the thing is, this is a team where in Minnesota we all got our hopes up, and I said at the beginning of the year, guys, the Wolves have to prove it to us first. And it's not just because I'm a cynical Wolves fan or something like that, although I have been burned by this team in the past. But it's more of, 
Look, the national media doesn't care. They're not even pretending to be hyped about the Timberwolves. And I know the Wolves aren't an exciting media market, but, man, they don't care. They don't care about the Timberwolves right now, unless the Timberwolves give them a reason to care. They like Anthony Edwards. They love Anthony Edwards. But they don't like the Timberwolves as a team. They don't like the Minnesota Timberwolves, and they have a decent reason to because they haven't been relevant in so many years. Their highest point of relevance was Jimmy Butler allegedly taking the third stringers and whooping Carl Anthony Townsend Company in practice. You think that? You think that's... Do you think that's going to bring a lot of NBA respectability? I mean, it's not. And that's the thing of this Wolves team. And I want the Wolves to be good. I want them to be good so bad. And they take steps. Anthony Edwards is a good player. He can become a great player. He's got to mature. And I don't mean, like, attitude-wise. He's just got to mature into becoming the player that he can be, the ceiling that he can be. Carl Anthony Towns is a good, borderline, great player. I mean, he's a great player. He's a star player, borderlining on superstar. A superstar for the Wolves, for sure. And they have some pieces, but the problem is, is you traded the you traded the farm for D'Angelo Russell, and you're reaping the rewards of it, which is you have no draft capital and no cap space. So thanks, Gerson Rosas. So it's, again, it's just all been in this thing of the Wolves want to be good, but they haven't proven it yet. And the NBA hasn't taken notice of the Wolves, and they're not going to any time soon at this rate. But they have a good chance to do it against the Spurs tonight. They have a good chance to get back on the winning track and try and make something of the season. It's not over by a long shot, but they've gotten the they've gotten off on the wrong foot. And it just goes to show the teams around the NBA aren't taking the Wolves seriously. It's not like everybody's sitting there like the 2019 Cleveland Browns are like, oh, what happened? They were supposed to be so good. Oh, my gosh. It's, oh, yeah, the Timberwolves are bad again. All right, well, what's new? And they shouldn't be. They should be competing more, and it's just part of the roster construction. And you just have to hope that they can turn things around and try and get it better uh, for the future. All right, now let's shift gears here to the Minnesota Wild tonight. And the big story coming out of St. Paul is that the uh, is that Kirill Kaprizov is on the third or fourth line tonight. And I got to find the official uh, the official uh, line here as I look it up. But he basically not got benched because he's going to play, but he essentially got his minutes cut for sure. And I think it's a question of uh, with all this, it's a question of with Kaprizov was effort. I think that's the reason why uh, he's getting punished at this point. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And I think that it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I want to find the, the tweet to, uh, you know, it's uh, trying to find these lines here. So Kaprizov is on the third line. He's with Rask and Goudreau. So it's Greenway, Eriksson, Ek, and Felino on the first line. Fiala, Hartman, Zuccarello on the second line. Kaprizov, Rask, Goudreau on the third line. And Duhame, Strum, and Pitlick on the fourth line with Talbot in net. And everybody, you know, this is the thing about the Wild and the culture that they're trying to build. And I'm not going to talk too much about culture today. But uh, it's the one of the things that Kirill Kaprizov is the star player. He's one of the highest-paid players on the team. That's not named Parisier Suter because they're still technically employed. Or they're still technically paid by the team. And when you look at the Wild, Kaprizov is the star player. He's the guy. He is you know whatever. And he's getting benched. He's getting straight up benched. And whether it's because of definitive effort issues, whether it's just because he hasn't been playing well and he's trying to motivate him, give him a jolt, Dean Evison. I don't know. But I think he's being widely praised at this point. Uh, you know, you have guys basically saying that, uh, you know, Kirill Kaprizov needs to play better. 
And that's the message that Dean Epson is sending. And he's not sending it through the media, and he's not sending it through backwater channels and leaked sources and all this kind of stuff. He's just straight up taking away his minutes and saying, play better and you'll get more minutes. We don't care how much you're making. We want you to play. And one, the Wild are trying to shake it up to try and get something going. But also, they're doing it to send a message to their best player. And I think that uh, I think that's what it's all about. And Kirill Kaprizov, I, I've been saying it before, he'll get things back on track. But if this is what Dean Evison has to do to get him going, I'm okay with it. Now, if this becomes a consistent problem, then, then we got some issues. But at the same time, a one-off thing to try and motivate a star player isn't my biggest issue. It's if it becomes an, a, a reoccurring thing. And... Again, this is a big test for the Wild here tonight because they are playing Ryan Suter and the Dallas Stars tonight. And Ryan Suter, of course, cut by the Wild in the offseason and made a point to basically say, screw you, Wild. I'm going to a Central Division foe in Dallas. Dallas, a team, by the way, that the Wild hate, or at least Minnesota fans hate, because of the whole North Stars going down to Dallas. And when you look at this team, when you look at the Stars, they're a good team, and they play the Wild a lot, which is a big reason why. Uh, was a big reason why Suter went there, and he's going to be playing his first game back in St. Paul tonight. And then the Wild beat Parisi a couple weeks ago when he came back with the Isles. But now the Stars are coming to town, and it's just going to be a lot more chippy. It's going to be the first time playing the Stars in a couple of years, so they're going to have a they're going to have an they're going to have a challenge on their hands, I think. And the biggest thing was Suter, and it's Suter. Uh, coming in and really kind of sending a message. And I think, so this is why the Suter thing and the Kaprizov thing, I know it's not intentional, but it's poetic how together they are. Because Ryan Suter was a guy who was with Parisi, who was coddled by the organization, who they basically had a boys club in themselves, and Parisi and Suter and a couple of the other veterans on that team. And it created this, not toxic, but it just created a hostile work environment and really just something that, uh, the Wild, uh, didn't, it didn't help the Wild at all. It really hurt this team when they tried when they tried to do something. And this is an incredible story that uh, was from Tory Mitchell. He, uh, not familiar with the player himself, but he played with the Wild when Parisi and Suter first got there in 2012. And hearing him talk about that team, and he basically said the story, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he said, you know, Parisi and Suter, they lived in Edina. And that already enough is to know that you already don't like where this is going. So they lived in Edina. And with living in Edina, there's a really nice high school and a really nice hockey rink at the Edina High School. And the Edina High School hockey rink was five minutes from where Parisi and Suter lived. And what he alleges is that, and I'm sure not really alleges, I'm sure it's pretty obvious, is that they wanted to play, they didn't want to practice in St. Paul, they practice at the X. They don't really have a practice rink. They just practice right at the X. And he said, basically, is that Parisi and Suter basically told the team, we want to practice in Edina. We want to make the whole team go over and practice in Edina. And I don't know if that made people's commutes worse, better, whatever, what have you. But the fact that they had to play in a high school rink, now it's Edina, it's one of the better high school rinks, you know, just in terms of money. But it's still the fact of that those two guys held the team hostage. They made the team practice where they wanted to practice. They made the team do this. They made the vets do this. They made the rookies do why. And it's just all of this kind of chaos and all of this kind of where Evison is not Evison so much as taking shots, but he talks about how things needed to change. 
with the culture. And you have guys like Spurgeon. You have other guys like Eriksenek. You have guys who are supposed to lead the team basically saying, yeah, uh, we really needed a culture change. We wanted to make it an open locker room. We wanted to make sure that players had their voices heard. It's a little more a kumbaya and less do what I say, you're not on my level. And that's what the Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi era wild were, is they were a team that could have been so great. I think that's what's frustrating. This Parisi, Suter, Wild could have been so, so great, but they were coddled by ownership because these were two guys, two Minnesotans, who signed these lifetime contracts at the time. And, you know, the 12-year contracts, they made a big splash. They're going to win at least one cup, and it's going to be so great. And they couldn't even get past the second round. They got past the first round once and got destroyed by the Avs. I mean, just – or destroyed by Chicago, I mean. It's just they haven't they didn't amount to anything and they didn't amount to anything because of the culture that they created because they bought into their own press and they were too big for their britches and all this kind of stuff. And it's what led the wild to getting into the position where they are now where they're going to pay Parisi and Suter to play against them and to where they feel like they need to do this. And Dean Evison, Bill Gurren, the whole locker room, this is just the thing now with the wild. They don't feel like Parisi or they don't feel like uh, Kaprizov rather playing up to his potential. Yeah, go sit on the third line, earn your minutes. Play hard when you get out on the ice. Do better. And even if it's not a, a, an effort issue, you now some people are saying it is, some people are saying it isn't. I'm not going to delve into that. Whether it's an effort issue or not, it's clearly a point of where the coach sits you down and goes, look, we need to shake things up. We need to get you back into your rhythm. And you know what? Just running out there and pretending everything is fine is not the way to go in this situation. And good for the Wild for doing it, good for Dean Evison for doing it. And you know what it does? Sometimes people think that by doing this, it alienates your players. But sometimes by doing it, it makes those vets, it makes those role players, it makes those guys on the second and third and fourth lines, it makes them go, you know what? They're not coddling the star players. I respect my coach now. And it's stuff like that that gets your players to play harder. It definitely stops the high and low points of the seasons that those old Wild teams had where the lows were so bad it felt like they needed to blow everything up. And all of that... And I think that benching Kirill Kaprizov is a short-term thing. And I think if it becomes longer-term, then yeah, we have some reason to be concerned. I think if Kaprizov has to have this happen again, he gets sent back up to the first line and then has to go back down in a couple months, we have an issue. I think we're just blowing it a little bit out of proportion. We still need to take it seriously. Kaprizov still, you know, he hasn't been having as good of a season as he needs to. He'll get better. But the point is when and how do you have to make him do it? And you have to constantly badger him and constantly nip him in the butt to get him going, then that's going to be an issue. But as of right now, I'm going to say it's just a guy who's down and a guy who the Wild need to figure out how to play better, and this is how they're going to try and motivate him. And it's fitting that they're doing it when a player is returning to town that the Wild would have never, ever, ever thought to do. And by the way, when they tried to take away minutes for Parisian Suter is when they started to whine and moan and when their uh, departures felt inevitable. All right, well, now let's talk here about the Minnesota Gophers. And there's one thing I wanted to touch on with the Gophers here so far. And the one thing I wanted to touch on with the Gophers is that they are just completely wasting this offensive line. Now, I said it before that the Gophers have some of the best lines, offensive and defensive, in the Big Ten, and especially one of the best offensive lines in the country. Uh, the Gophers' defensive line is good. They're, they're good. The Gophers' offensive line is great. Dare I say they're P.J. Fleck elite with their O-line production. You look at the, according to Pro Football Focus, the offensive line consisting of Falele, Andres, Michael Schmitz, uh, Schluter, Olsen, and Rushmeyer. I mean, they're one of the best offensive lines in the country, according to Pro Football Focus. In the country, not in the Big Ten West, not in the Big Ten, not in this, 
They are in the country. They are one of the best, according to Pro Football Focus. And you know what? That's deserved. And I don't doubt that. And I just, it infuriates me that whether due to poor quarterback play from Tanner Morgan, whether due to poor offensive coaching from Mike Sanford Jr., who has ruined the last three offenses that he was at, and or it is P.J. Fleck being too conservative, all of it is just a perfect storm for wasting one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line. I'm going to say it. They're the best offensive line in Minnesota Golden Gopher football history. They are on their like running backs number four and five, and they are turning them into 100-yard rushers. And they're good. They're good recruits, and you know the Gophers know how to groom running backs. But they're off at, these offensive lines coming in and helping redshirt freshmen and true freshmen, all these guys coming in and excel right away, that's because of how good this offensive line has become. And credit to P.J. Fleck for building that. And now I'm going to discredit him for wasting this talent. And I know sometimes it doesn't all click. Sometimes teams waste good quarterback play with bad teams, with bad offensive lines, with whatever. Now it's the inverse. It is the reverse of this situation. It is we, the Gophers have a great offensive line, an elite offensive line, one of the best offensive lines, not the best offensive line in school history. And the best that they're going to do is going eight and four. I'm sorry. They, they are better than this. They are better than this. They should have beat Illinois. They should have beat Bowling Green. And if your only two losses are to Iowa and Wisconsin, what are your, I mean, on the season, on the season, what are instead of eight and four, you're, what, 10 and 2? I mean, that sounds a whole heck of a lot better than whatever the Gophers are signing up for right now. And now they could beat Indiana, and heck, they could even beat Wisconsin, and maybe they do. And that's good for them. They should, if they lose to Indiana, we got real problems. Indiana's falling apart right now. If the Gophers lose to Indiana, they got some issues. But, I mean, it's just, they need. It's the Wisconsin game that's really going to make a break. If they can beat Wisconsin, P.J. Fleck can earn back some of that. He's still a great coach. I'm still not going to say they need to fire him or anything. I'm not. That's not what I'm calling for. But it's because I want this Gopher team to be better. And that it's talking to the head coach, saying, you, you know, it's asking questions of the head coach. And it's as a fan base, as not me, obviously, because I don't have any interactions with any of these coaches. But it's the media you know, pushing, saying, why don't you do this? Why is it this way? Why, you know, to basically say, we want a better team. The state of Minnesota wants a good football team. You think they like hearing all the time? You think down in the Twin Cities, they like hearing about NDSU all the dang time? You think they like that the top half of their state doesn't give a dang about gopher football? I mean, that most of the state south of St. Cloud doesn't give a crap about gopher football? Mostly? Yeah, like... You gotta, I don't know, and maybe that's a little, it is a little harsh, but at the same time, it is still just this sense of they're so close every dang time, and they just can never find a way to finish the job, and you have one of the best offensive lines ever in college football, and you waste it. You waste it, and it's a shame because you have the running backs to do it as well. You had the defense to do it as well. You just maybe didn't have the offensive weapons you thought you had, and you definitely didn't expect this bad a play from your quarterback. And we're going to see what happens, but the whole point of this is the Gophers' offensive line is one of the best in the country, and they're wasting it with poor quarterback play, poor offensive uh, production, and just poor head coaching at times with P.J. Flex's conservative nature. 
And if P.J. Fleck was about 20 years older, we'd start to give him a lot of Mike Zimmer comps, but because he's young and he's fresh and does all this innovative stuff, we think that he's not absolved from being a little too conservative at times. And a lot of times, especially against some of the more experienced coaches like the Kirk Ferences and the Brett Bielema's and the Paul Chris of the world, gets out coached. And uh, P.J. Fleck has done a lot of good things for this Gopher program. He deserves this extension, but now he has to earn it. He's earned the, getting the extension. He has to earn that he's going to finish it out. And he's got to earn the faith that the Minnesota Gophers have given him by giving him that extension, if that makes sense. He obviously earned the right to get an extension, but now he has to take the promise that they've given him, and he's got to run with it. So now let's talk about here uh, before – and one last thing. Just, again, this offensive line is so good, and they waste it. They just waste it. So let's take a look here now at the Minnesota Vikings as we wrap up the Minnesota Sports Podcast here. And today, talking about Minnesota, what do they need to do to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? Well, the answer is pressure. How do you beat Tom Brady? Pressure. How do you beat some of these guys? It's pressure. Pressure, 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 pressure. You need to be able to make Rodgers uncomfortable. If you sit back in zone coverage, he's going to sit back, find the windows, and gun it in there. If you play man, he's going to scramble, let his guys get open, and throw a ball down the field. And if it doesn't get completed, he's going to turn right back to the refs and demand the pass interference flag be thrown. So how do you beat Aaron Rodgers? You get pressure on him. You get pressure on him, and you force him to make mistakes. And I know yesterday I was a little bit harder on the Vikings' defense uh, in certain categories when it came to uh, when it came to their third downs and when it came to red zone and everything. But when it comes to pressures, which is the one thing you're going to need to do to beat Aaron Rodgers, the Vikings actually do that pretty well. So in nine games, the Vikings have 29 sacks this season, and Daniil Hunter had six of them. So the Vikings had 23 sacks, if you don't count Daniil Hunter. But, 20, but stay with me here. 29 sacks is tied for the most in football. And the Vikings have only played nine games. They are tied with the Browns and the Rams for most sacks, and the Browns and the Rams have played a game more than the Vikings. They have 29 sacks. Six of those are from Daniil Hunter. Sure, they'd have 23. What does that put them? That puts them, uh, you know, it puts them just past the top 10. And they have 20, they'd have 23 sacks. But you know what that would give them? One, it would give them one less sack than the Green Bay Packers, who, by the way, have played one more game than the Vikings. So, yeah. I, I think that they have a pretty decent, they've done pretty decent in getting coverage. And has it been Daniel Hunter being back in, at the, especially at the beginning of the year? Yes. But the Vikings haven't been as starved for sacks as they were a year before. Now, whether it's because of... Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson up the middle, whether it's because of Everson Griffin being back, whether it's because of all this extra stuff, the Vikings having Sheldon Richardson being back or whatever. I mean, Sheldon Richardson and Dalvin Tomlinson are more up the middle. That doesn't do a lot for sacks. But they have gotten a lot of pressures as well. And at the same time, sacks are a great stat, but pressures are a lot more telling on quarterbacks. The Vikings currently they are top five in the NFL in pressures, the total number of pressures, 102. 
102 pressures in nine games. So they're averaging over 10 pressures a game, which is good. And their pressure percentage is best in all of football for how much they are. And now that takes into account the percentage of times that quarterbacks are going back to pass. And you're getting the pressures. Now the Vikings run defense hasn't been good, but you know that Aaron, and with, especially without uh, Aaron Jones, you know Rodgers is going to want to pass the ball. And in a hostile environment like U.S. Bank Stadium, I don't care how good the Vikings are, when the Packers are in town, as long as the Packer fans don't buy the tickets, it is a good environment. It is a hostile road environment, and you can do a lot of things to mess up with Rodgers with a loud crowd and getting pressure. You have to get pressure early against Aaron Rodgers. You have to make sure that you get the hits in early. You have to make sure that he feels uncomfortable from the get-go, because if you let him get into a rhythm, and that's the thing about beating Aaron Rodgers. The Vikings have the pressure stats. The Vikings have, which, by the way, and I, and I want to say this quickly, and then we'll get back to the other thing, is pressures are more important than sacks. And you talk about turnovers, defensive turnovers, which the Vikings got a couple of last week. To get defensive turnovers, even Bill Belichick has said this. He said with pressures, they work better than sacks, obviously for getting turnovers, because they get interceptions. And how do you get interceptions is by throwing the quarterback's timing on, hurrying them up, causing them to make an errant pass. All these kind of things happen when you get more pressure on the quarterback, and the Vikings have done that. And I can't recall the Herbert sack, but at the same time, a few of the Vikings sacks have come from defensive pressure getting there. And you can watch any football game at any level, and you can see it. Pressure gets to a quarterback. The quarterback feels like they just have to heave it somewhere, whether they try and get it out of bounds and can't get it out, whether they just try and throw it downfield and see what happens. Most of them get intercepted. And Bill Belichick has said that pressures lead to interceptions, and having a high pressure rate helps get more turnovers. And that's also what you're going to have to do if you want to beat Aaron Rodgers. You're going to have to turn him over. You're going to have to stop possessions and get a short field and be able to capitalize. So if you're going to want to beat the Packers, you have to slow down Aaron Rodgers. That's just the key. But how do you slow down Aaron Rodgers? Well, you slow down Aaron Rodgers by pressuring him, which the Vikings do very, very well, because you can't let Rodgers get into a groove early. It has to happen early. Because if you let Rodgers get into a groove, if you let him throw 14 point, if you let him throw two touchdowns early in the first quarter, and let's say it's the end of the first quarter and the Packers are up 14 to three, even 14-7, that is tough, tough sledding. Because Rodgers is a good quarterback. He makes adjustments in the second half. He knows what to do. And Zimmer makes good second half adjustments. But at the same time, if you let Rodgers get hot, it's hard to slow him down once he heats up. But if you can prevent him from heating up until the second half, because he'll get his points, he'll get his yards. You're not going to, outside of a totally great defensive game plan and effort, and the Vikings don't have the talent to be able to pull some of that off, you're not going to get there. But what you are going to get is you are going to, uh, if you can slow Rodgers down, that's if you can get that, you are going to have a good chance to win because he will heat up at some point. But if you're, But if you can get that to happen in the second half, before he starts throwing darts down the field. And let's say the Vikings are going to halftime up 14-10. Even 14-13, I'll still take those odds. Even though the Vikings are down 13-14, as long as you feel like you're within a score and Aaron Rodgers hasn't had that great of a first half, you feel like you're in the game. Because you feel like Rodgers is going to get his stuff in the second half. But you know what? Now we're in the game. Everybody's a little bit more confident. Whereas the Vikings go down 14-3 at the end of the first quarter. Things just get a little hairy after that. Rodgers has more confidence, and things just get away from you. So the key to the defense is pressure, pressure, pressure. 
if you're Tom Coughlin in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl was at 42, where you are basically saying, pressure Tom Brady. Pressure. We need to get pressure on him. That's how we're going to stop him. And if you're the Vikings, that's how you're going to stop Aaron Rodgers. We need to put pressure on him. We need to make him uncomfortable early. Make him throw an errant pass or two. Maybe get him to fumble. Whatever it takes. And then capitalize on it. And that's how you stay in the game from a defensive perspective. And Mike Zimmer does a good job of creating blitzes. Aaron Rodgers respects the heck out of Mike Zimmer because he knows how good he is at scheming up the blitzes and the defensive strategies. So if the Vikings are going to win, it's not going to have to be through defense entirely. But on the defensive game plan, the defensive side of the ball, it is pressure, pressure, pressure. And the Vikings have done a good job doing that as a team. Even though Daniil Hunter is hurt, the Vikings still are a good team in terms of getting uh, sacks and in terms of pressures. Well, all right, well, that's going to do it for us here today on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We are going to come back tomorrow and talk more about what the Vikings need to do on offense and a whole lot more in Minnesota sports, bringing down the Wolves and Wild games that are going on tonight. Be there tomorrow on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.